Welcome to KJV Cafe. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen. Each episode of the cafe is dedicated to studying the Bible verse by verse from Genesis through Revelation. Your host here at the cafe is Bible teacher Clark Covington. Looks like the coffee is hot and ready, so let's get started. Amen. Glory to God. Welcome to the program. Welcome to the cafe. Clark Covington here. I'm your Bible teacher today. I'm your Bible teacher every day if you tune in. We're on seven days a week, 365, and long as the Lord allows, long as the Lord tarries, amen, uh, we will continue to do this right here. Um, I love it. I love it, and I thank you for joining us today. Hopefully, you've uh, been catching up on some of these episodes. We've been talking about Genesis uh, chapter 2. And we went a little bit back in chapter one, but chapter two, we're on verse six today. And uh, well, actually, matter of fact, no, I think we're on verse seven today. Let me check my note. And uh, yeah, we're on verse seven. Amen. We're on verse seven. Um, And that's good because we already went over verse six. Uh, It's all all intertwined here. Genesis two, uh, four through seven. I'll read that and then we'll we'll tackle verse seven. Uh, These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And every plant of the field before it was in the earth and every herb of the field before it grew, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth and there was not a man to till the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Amen. All right, so we have here, spoke about recently, a few episodes ago, about how God is a God of order and sequence. And so we see that God made the heavens and the earth, the water, the dry land. What did he do then? Then he makes the animals, right? The birds, cattle, etc. Then what does he do? Then he makes man, amen, then he makes man. Now, why did God do things in that order? Well, one way to look at it is God created what was going to be ruled over or managed by or stewarded by man. He created those elements and then he creates man, amen? And in that order, man is coming into the picture already surrounded by these things that man is going to Uh, have stewardship over. He's going to be naming these animals. He's going to be tending to the garden. Amen. Man is going to have stewardship over what God's created, but God being a God of order and sequence does things in a certain way. So he created uh, the earth, the heavens, you know, he didn't put, create man and say, okay, you're hanging out here in space. He created the architecture, the infrastructure, if you will. He created all these things first. Then man comes on the scene out of the dust. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the previous verse is what we just spoke about, that there was already a need for tending to these plants and herbs. And God provided that through water coming a mist, you know, the morning dew, if you will, coming out of the ground. And so we're going to tackle all these ideas right when we come back from the break. Stay tuned. You're listening to KJV Cafe. We encourage you to look us up on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to our channel on YouTube. Now let's get back to some more in-depth Bible study. Amen. Here we are looking at the 
order in which God created everything. And we've spent some time in the past week or so going over the Sabbath and how God gave us this day of rest and the importance of that because he didn't need to rest. Amen. And then we've looked at the order in which God has created everything and that there's a sequence or a plan behind that. And then we applied that to our lives, looking at how God has made us and how he would desire for us to live. Amen. And the important point that we've spent a fair bit of time talking about, but it's worth reiterating, is that God doesn't need us, you know? So we look around and think, okay, here we are on this earth. We have to do everything. We have to somehow compete. And that is the flesh, like somehow win the day, right? Somehow be successful in some way. And that's the flesh. I mean, if you really think about it, and I just got finished uh, studying, was it uh, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes? And you get in there, you know, so much about vanity, especially in Ecclesiastes, about the high idea that all of this is vanity. Like that person in that suit uh, that may have used to work in some big corporate tower, maybe they're now working at their beach house, but that person that's incredibly wealthy, you know, and they have that beautiful car and they have all these accoutrements of wealth. And, you know, we live in the country, but we drive out in certain areas around the city. You know, you can see pockets, uh, very wealthy pockets in this area. And people, you know, they may curry favor by the what they do or their job title or who they are. They may in themselves tell themselves they've really made something of themselves. So they're really doing something. And Solomon's words are, it's all vanity. It's all vanity. Like, and, and here's the point. God gave us these things to keep us, uh, I, I would say, productive. God, I always believe that God made us as adults to work in some fashion, right? Even if it's very simple work, he made us to work, amen. Uh, oftentimes you go into a store, you may see a retiree, and you know people assume they have to work. I mean, some people, I think I'd be included, would just want to work. You just want to stay busy. That's how God made us. He made us to just like sit around and stare at stuff all day long. He made us to be productive. And so we see that the work is a gift from God and nothing more, you know? And there's a, it goes very deep. There's there's scripture on like people eating at your table and you don't even have a chance to take a bite. You know, it's there's scripture on all manner of uh, these issues. One of them was, um, Lord, don't don't make me rich so that I forget who you are or so poor that I have to steal. You know, like God wants us to be content where we're at, yet to work hard for him, to take pride in what we do, but to understand that what we're doing isn't like independent of him. Amen. And so if we are dependent on him, amen, if we are abiding in him, because we are literally here, verse 7 says, and the Lord God for man of the dust of the ground. Now, I wonder why God did that. He could have formed us of the bark of the tree. He could have formed us of the green of the bush. He could have formed us of, you know, the water of the river. He formed us out of the dust of the ground. I think that has to do with the idea that we're nobody, amen, that we're nothing. You know, we, we are, uh, you know, the, 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 we are like the, the serpent has to eat the dust of the ground, right? Because of the curse. Amen. Is, is, is it any different for us? Genesis three, uh, we see that in Genesis three, uh, let's see I think it's verse 14, Lord God said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field upon thy belly shall thou go and dust shalt thou eat all thy days of thy life. 
And, and by the way, many believe the serpent uh, used to walk before. And there's like, they could, you know, do these, I don't know, autopsies or examinations and they see where the legs were and so forth. So God cursed the serpent, uh, the devil. And, and what did he say? He said, you're going to eat dust all your days. And what are we made out of? We're made out of dust. And so what does that mean? We're, we're, we're nobody, we're nothing. And as long as we think we're something, we have a problem because as long, you know, God cannot use somebody that is living proud, that is puffed up. And again, I think it goes hand in hand with people that are staring over their accomplishments. Um, I can rejoice in the fact that uh, I, I don't have to worry about, you know, living up to some kind of expectation, amen, in, 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 in a certain like aspect of, again, nothing wrong with being successful in life and, life and God can use you if you're successful. Uh, but you know what, if you're not, God can use you too. And oftentimes he chooses to use the people that make time for him. And when people make time for him, guess what? Sometimes they have to make a sacrifice. Sometimes they have to take up their cross. Sometimes they have to stand for the ways of God and that's not popular. You see what I'm getting at here? That's, you know, in this world, if, if you're nobody in this world, maybe that just might mean you're somebody in God's eyes. Amen. So why do people, if they're reading Genesis and they see how God made everything and they, they want to believe it, then why, why are they not able to come to terms with this idea to live for God? I mean, why are people so in bondage of sin, right? What, what happened here? Well, ever since the sin curse man has lived sinfully. Amen. And that's not because man ha has a thought or opinion or something that they want to sin. That means that man is predisposed to sin. And so people may get confused. They read about uh, some church bylaws or they read on some doctrinal mission statement about how the man, about the depravity of man or how man is depraved and say, oh, how dare you say that? Well, that's kind of getting at the root of things. If we think that man is somebody that's not depraved, right, then all of a sudden we loosen up, and the next thing you know, we loosen up a little more, and that's the devil's trick, amen? That's the idea that if he could just get us to think that sin is okay, and by that, that we're okay, then all of a sudden, hey, loosen up. I'm a fundamental preacher, and I don't make any bones about it, and a lot of people probably don't like it. Because I preach against loosening up. I preach against the idea of compromise. You know, as soon as you start saying, I don't want to separate from the world, I want to mix with the world, it's highly destructive. It's very dangerous. And by the way, it's the most miserable place a Christian can be. Amen. So instead of being lukewarm, we're to be on fire for God. And we're to be on fire for God because it is for our benefit. We could then live as God wants us to do rather than living vainly or in vanity, uh, as Solomon writes about all of these things that we think are important and they're not. Amen. He gave himself to all these things to see what they're about. He said, they're all vanity. And by the way, he's the wisest man to ever live. And give yourself to it. I mean, if the way to live was for the world, amen, then why are so many people in the world that have achieved what they thought would bring them happiness still so empty? And conversely, why is it that you could have nothing but have God and be full of joy and peace? That makes no sense because this world is broken. But yet, even though we know deep down where, where it is good, where peace comes from, oftentimes many will not seek the Lord because of their living in sin. It's hard to break sin. You know, people haven't articulated it to me, but I believe in my witness to some people over the years 
you know, they, they understand logically what I'm saying, or maybe they can't pull that card. Oh, this person is just hateful or argumentative because I'm not, I'm not going to argue anybody into salvation. I'm just going to present the Bible. But typically it's, they don't want to give up on some sin. Like they don't want to give up on that thing that they're doing. And if they did, what would happen? Not just, it, it may not just be bondage to the sin, but bondage to the idea that they'd have to apologize, that they'd have to recognize a sovereign God. A, a scientist once said, and I, I don't know his name, but it's been quoted many times, that if he were to recognize sin, God, then he'd recognize sin. And if he recognized sin, then he'd have, be in a lot of trouble, something to that extent. And so it was much easier just to deny the existence of God, because at the root of it, they don't want to live for God. They don't want to depart from the darkness. They want to live in the darkness, live in sin, and to get out from that is something they don't want to do. Well, if they don't want to do that, then we can't have any kind of big spiritual movement in the country until people decide otherwise, because they're living for the world. And if you're living in sin, you're living for the world. Your heart is not in the church. You may go there, but God can't use you and he won't use you. And by the way, he's sovereign. He doesn't need to use you. So you may go there, but it doesn't mean anything. He can't use you. So you, you put the church on the back burner, prayer becomes SOS only. Okay, God, I'm only praying to you if it's my last resort. God should be our first call. Amen. It shouldn't be like when there's a problem, let's pray to God. It should be when things are great, let's pray to God. When things are okay, let's pray to God. When things are bad, let's pray to God. We should be looking at God and through the lens of true belief because God told us it was true in his word. And he wants us to know that it's true. And he's saying, this is how I made you. I made you from the dust of the ground. I breathed into your nostrils the breath of life. And now you're a living soul. And that word soul is very intentional. It doesn't say a living body, a living soul, because the soul never dies, amen. The soul is going one of two places, heaven or hell. There's millions of decisions you can make in this world, but there's only one that decides your soul. Do you believe that Christ died for your sins at the cross of Calvary? That's it, folks. You either believe or you don't. And if you say, I don't want to make a decision, then that's unbelief, amen. Your, your non-decision is a decision. And that's, again, I believe what God's going to call you on on the day of judgment. And the Bible tells us that all will be judged, that no Nobody is exempt from this. Amen. So we must trust the Lord and say, you know what? You made us from nothing. We'll go back to nothing. You are King and Lord, and we are honored to have you as our savior. And when we do that, we get in the right mind frame to be used by God. And we have a peace that surpasses all understanding. We'll pick up next time where we left off. Thank you so much for listening. Take care. God bless. And amen. Thanks for spending time with us today at the cafe. We would love to hear from you. You can email Brother Clark directly at clark at enduringpromise.org. See you again tomorrow, same time, same place.